This is Chris Benincasa for Jersey Arts, the podcast. Earlier this year, I met with Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Yusef Komanyaka at Classic Books, a local spot down the street from our station here in Trenton. I thought it was a fitting location because I'd heard that Yusef visited the store pretty often. Turns out we get our coffee from the same place, too. This fall, a new book of Komanyaka's poetry is being released. It's called War Horses. Here's our conversation from the bookshop. You're widely known for writing poetry about your experiences in the Vietnam War. I don't know if that's something you like to be known for, but what I find interesting about your poems about war is that they're not about war in the way one would expect. They're virtually apolitical. They are about the Vietnam War, but they're also about other things. And that's what I like about poetry as such. Even my poems about growing up in Louisiana, in Magic City, they're about growing up in in that city, Burgalus, Louisiana, uh, with all kinds of strife and what have you. But they're also about that terrain that is that makes us all human, I think. I, I think we sort of internalize the terrain and how we experience and see the world is through that internalized terrain. It, it shapes um, basically how we, how we view the world, how we view ourselves within the context of that, of that emotional, psychological environment. Language is political. Uh, silence is also political. Um, my problem with political poems is when the politics are on the surface of the poem. Um, and the politics dominate the poem. I like reading poems again and again. I don't want to be told what to think. Okay? I don't I don't I don't think the poem is an ad for an emotion. I can do my own thinking. And that's and that's what's interesting about even those poets who are political, such as uh, Pablo Neruda. Uh, I go back to the body of his work. And the poems that are more political, um, when, when the politics are on the surface, um, those poems sort of evaporate for me. Mm. And, I, and I want the poems that beckon my imagination. Not, not the poems that tell me what to think and how to think. In the Operation Homecoming documentary, in which veteran writers, such as yourself, talk about their experiences and their craft, you suggest that the current conflict in Iraq and the surrounding region has sort of sparked a compulsion in you to write about Vietnam again, something you thought you were done with. Yes. As a matter of fact, I, I thought I'd laid it to rest. Uh, I was teaching at Stanford, and um, that was in 2002. And I was supposed to give a 12 o'clock presentation. So I got up that morning and started writing a poem entitled Grenade. And it took me right back to, um, to, to Vietnam. Because I, I was sort of mystified about this fact that um, 14 or 15 uh, young African Americans had thrown themselves on grenades in Vietnam. I said, well, how does that come about? Um, because one doesn't have a chance to think about that kind of response. Uh, it's in the psyche somewhere to sacrifice oneself for the whole squad or the platoon. Um, 
and it's something that hasn't really been addressed, but it still sort of troubles my psyche in a way. Why, you know, that large number of African Americans to, to throw themselves on their knees. Do you feel that your poetry that deals with this type of subject matter has, in some sense, become a part of history, uh, something that could be taught as history that would be uh, useful in understanding something like the war in Vietnam or the civil rights movement? Each of us is really a composite of histories because the brain, the human brain, is gluttonous. It wants to wrestle with every abstract principle out there, you know. So it's constantly taken in, and um, I know that's how my own psyche works. Um, I took in a lot of history, psychology, sociology. Um, um, that's, who we, that's who we are. Um, I've lived certain parts of history, um, and I like to say in my lifetime, I've seen so many changes and what have you. But there's also a kind of imaginative history. There's also an emotional history, psychological history. Um, so um, um, I, I'm still learning. I think everybody has sort of a, a unique familiarity with the land they, they grew up grew up in. And for you, it, it happens to be Louisiana, which you have described as both of eucolic existence and sheer hell. There is a kind of severe beauty there within the context of nature. Um, but at the same time, I knew, I knew the, um, the history of Louisiana. I, I, I knew um, Grant Bogalusa, there was an organization called the Deacons for Defense. And that was an organization um, where the Panthers, the Black Panthers, I think they were full of, full, full of a lot of bravado and talk and what have you about the Deacons for Defense. They were there to protect the civil rights workers uh, with arm expression. Okay, um, so, so I grew up in the midst of this. Um, uh, wasn't a lot of talk, <laughs> you know. Um, so so um, I was very keenly aware of, of, of Louisiana in his history. How much has the state of poetry changed since you first began writing and publishing? Uh, is now a good time for poets compared to when you first started out? Well, I still think the poet has to write for his or her own voice. Um, has to seek a certain kind of solitude and, and not worry about um, the, the hype around poetry because poetry isn't entertainment. I, I do think that that's important to remember. Um, however, I also think that poetry at this time in America is very healthy. It's a very healthy climate for poetry. Um, and, I, and I'm aware that even with the theater, I think, I think the theater is sort of beckoning to poets more now to write 
um, to, to let language be um, the force behind dramatic expression. You're often asked what advice you have for young aspiring poets. You usually offer some good advice and then add that need is also a prerequisite. Can you be a poet without needing to write poetry? Well, from my perspective, uh, need is always the foundation of poetic expression. Also, need has to do with the fact that it's not necessarily what one knows, but what one is willing to discover. Um, so there is a need to discover and oppose, as opposed to um, embrace, embracing only what one knows. Does this city or the state of New Jersey in general uh, ever get into your work the way other places have? You know, I can't say definitely, but um, I, I can say perhaps in the future. Um, but all, maybe it has already. Poet Yusef Komanyaka. His new book is called War Horses and will be available this fall. For more information about the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. Jersey Arts, the podcast, is a production of State of the Arts, NJN Public Television's weekly arts program. Watch it on NJN Public Television Fridays at 8.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 11.30 p.m. Individual stories can be seen anytime on njn.net. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts is proud to co-produce State of the Arts. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts, encouraging excellence in the arts since 1966. Additional support was provided by the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, supporting cultural, educational, and environmental initiatives that make our world more livable. This is Chris Benincasa for Jersey Arts, the podcast.